The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. We are continuing our march through our Soldier Code series with our fourth episode following a great Father's Day special last week with Pastor Buddy Griffin. Our first three shows in this series were The Way of the Samurai, The Law of the Spartan, and The Vow of the Viking, which can all be downloaded on Apple, Spotify, or iHeartRadio podcast apps. Today's show focuses on The Charge of the Night, and the entire series is drawn from Duncan Brannan's book titled The Soldier Code, Ancient Warrior Wisdom for Modern-Day Christian Soldiers. And this book is available now at Duncan's website, thesoldiercode.com, and also on Amazon. So pick up a copy. It's fantastic. So we will have two remaining shows in this six-part series. The final two are based upon The Oath of the Gladiator and The Mark of the Roman Legionary. So I'm pleased to welcome back pastor and author Duncan Brannon, to enlighten us with more ancient warrior wisdom on wrestling with the inner man. Thank you, David. It's good to be back with you, brother. Well, I always enjoy our conversations, and I think that there's a lot that we can teach our listeners, and I'm hoping that this series is uh, really helping people feel like they're getting uh, armed up and prepared for spiritual battle. So uh, now I'm not sure, Duncan, if, if we're going through these warrior cultures in a somewhat chronological order, but I do know that knights slightly overlapped and then followed the Vikings raiding across Europe. So why don't you begin by relating the context of Europe's economic, intellectual, and cultural decline in what became known as the Dark Ages to create this need for an imposing combination of soldiers, steed, and spirituality called a knight? Very, very good question. So for about a hundred year period um, leading up to the fall of Rome, the Western Roman Empire had had teetered beneath the weight of, of a divided realm um, in a place, a time period called the crisis of the, the, third, the third century. They cycled through some 26 Roman emperors in a 50-year time span, and actually went through six of those Roman emperors in one year. Uh, they just kept getting bumped off. <laughs> then you had the uh, barbarian invasions with the Germans in the in the east and the Persians in the west. Uh, economic depression, their trade route uh, that was all over the world was constantly being invaded by bandits. And then they experienced a currency debasement also. And finally, they went through a number of just decimating pandemics, uh, the Antonine and, and Cyprian plagues, which uh, pretty much known as uh, smallpox now, uh, ravaged the Roman legion, um, killed um, a great deal of the Roman population. And then uh, finally, uh, on August 24th, A.D. 410, the Visigoth army of King Alaric I surrounded uh, Rome and, and choked her into submission. The city had been, had been completely cut off from all supplies, reduced to cannibalism. 
And finally, the people just gave up. A gate creaked open somewhere. The Visigoths entered, and it was the, the beginning of the end. The city was, was, was burning. The streets were streaming with blood, and, and just multiplied thousands of injured, widowed, and orphaned Roman refugees were pouring into the countryside. And to, get, to kind of get this picture here, Western, the, the Roman Empire had been ruling Western Europe with an iron fist for over 500 years. Mm-hmm. You know, picture a world without the United States. The, the United States is this global superpower of the West, and we have influence in, in every part of the world, really. And it's similar here in this time period for the Roman Empire. And Western Rome was, was mortally wounded now. And by 84 to 76, the last emperor was deposed, and the fall of the Western Empire it had been divided at this point. But the fall of the Western Empire, it struck Europe like a nuclear bomb. The central government uh, and medicine, education, they disappeared. Vital infrastructure like roads, bridges, sewers, aqueducts deteriorated. And this troubled trade network that spanned from North Africa to southern France dissolved. And and so here come the Dark Ages. Um, People are starving. There's disease everywhere. Um, It really is this kind of apocalyptic picture. And in the eastern part of the empire, it was... It wasn't much different. You had massive earthquakes and tsunamis that were rocking the kingdom of Byzantium, um, leveling cities, igniting fires. They were destroying entire fleets of ships. We have all of this, of course, documented in the histories that are coming out of this period. Um, You had volcanic activity, meteoric activity. The bubonic plague struck in 541. So people of this time period, it's not hard to understand why a lot of them, they believed that they were approaching the second coming of Christ. It was, it was a terrible, terrible time. But in all of this dark period, St. Jerome, um, in one of his commentaries uh, on the book of Ezekiel, he began writing about how that, that there, you know, there weren't any of these, these modern-day props as we know it. They didn't have soup kitchens, and they didn't have welfare and other stuff like this. The government was gone, and the only force that was capable of stepping forward and helping was the Church of God. Mm-hmm. And, and as the Dark Ages descended upon Europe, Christian charity sprang up in this beautiful brush fire with churches and abbeys becoming hostels for the pilgrim and the destitute, um, uh, institutions to restore learning and literacy, infirmaries that were caring for the diseased and elderly, and, and strongholds to guard the weak and defenseless from bandits and so forth. The call of the, of the church really at this time, really kind of issued by Jerome, was turning scripture into action. That's what he wrote about in this commentary. He said, we, we didn't want to just talk about it anymore. We, want, we wanted to turn scripture into action, and that's what we began to see and this powerful reform and revival movement that started with the church to rebuild Europe. Well, turning scripture into action, boy, that sounds like something we might need to be doing today, too. Uh, <laughs> you think? So you have a subheading in the section of the book that really caught my eye, psalming <laughs> the savage beast. You know, I don't mm. like anything with my name in it. <laughs> but, uh, but it seems that knights were initially just hired muscle or mercenaries, you know, like the Sopranos who worked for lords or the ruling class. But the, mm-hmm. the church then, you know, engaged them. Uh, and how, so how in the, in the heavenly combat did the church retain the soldier spirit to create the, the knight, you know, as it's known today, the shining armor, 
hero on the white horse. Mm. Yeah, so uh, you're exactly right. They were. They were hired muscle. They were thugs. They were bullies. They were mercenaries. And these these soldier class that had that had a lot of them had previously been legionaries um, that we had been policing Rome and so forth. And, you know, they didn't have employment, so these guys were trying to find what work that they could to make ends meet too. I guess, but they needed righteous councils to govern them. They needed honorable causes to guide them once again and. Most of all, they needed virtuous codes to guard their conduct because warriors have extreme power, and without guidance, that power becomes destructive. And as the churches got together, as the bishops and the monks got together to discuss these things in councils uh, and so forth, this birth of chivalry happened, the order of knighthood. And so from about the 8th to the 13th century, we have quotes from the Psalms and then derivative quotes and all sorts of other Bible verses that just began flooding uh, texts and rituals and oaths. They were getting onto sword blades and hilts and sheaths and all of this. Um, I point out in, in the book, in one of them, um, the uh, Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 144 and verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my God who teaches my hands to war and my, my fingers to fight. And this engraving actually appears on an entire collection of European swords that spans across 600 years wow. at this time. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the Pontifical Romanum is a, a liturgical book of Catholic rites. And in that book, you have the blessing of the new soldier. And as they began to induct these warriors calling them into knighthood, calling, this, calling them up to this higher calling and this new code of conduct, candidate knights would, would recite a hybrid of Psalm 144. Um, and you see these things happening in the, in the books. You see other quotes from like Psalm 45 and verse 3, gird your sword upon your, upon your thigh powerfully, and drawing from places like Hebrews 11.33, they, they, they said, and remember always that the saints conquered kingdoms through faith and not with the sword. So you have all of these quotes from Scripture that are popping up in texts and so forth like that. We can look at places like Psalm 82.3-4, which says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Or Isaiah 117, that says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Or James 127, uh, which calls calls uh, the, the the saints to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and need all across the order of chivalry as it was appearing in all of these different places they were drawing from the psalms they were drawing from men like david who was a warrior and a king and creating this ideal for knighthood and so by the time the 12th century rolls around the code of chivalry is in is in full full play the there's an entire new class of society, these professional knights, whose job is to protect people that are traveling, the pilgrims headed to Jerusalem and so forth, uh, to protect the innocent, to uphold justice, to fight off um, the uh, other countries that are invading and so forth. And as the Knights Templar, <laughs> chivalry has become so powerful, as the Knights Templar are taking the battlefield in the 12th century, they are coming onto the battlefield singing entire songs. Psalm 113 through 15, non nobis domine, uh, we call it. That's what these guys are singing. So that's how thoroughly Scripture had been worked into them, into their character, and totally changed the culture. It's such a powerful testimony. It is. And, of course, you know, 
evil or dark times always make us turn toward the Lord, and uh, that was no different. Mm. And the Crusades, of course, were going on then. And but uh, in your book, you write <clears throat> noteworthy also is the almost all medieval chivalric oaths held three core virtues: justice, mercy, and faith. The same mm-hmm. virtues the King of Kings commanded his knights in Micah six eight in the New King James Version. He has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this this seems uh, to make the influence of the Bible crystal clear in the training and commissioning you know, of these monastic warriors. So tell our listeners more about the uh, 10th and 11th century movements, the peace and truce of God to further tame these brigands. <laughs> so while while Bible verses and, and biblical values were working their way into this warrior liturgy and onto weapons and so forth, it, the 10th and 11th century, the Church unleashed a, another barrage, really, to, to combat some of the brigandry that was still sticking around in, in some places, and these were the movements called the Peace and Truce of God. And it, it's, it, it, it's really amazing, the boldness of, of these clerics. Um, and what they did, they began calling this entire warrior culture to fields across Europe. You know, they didn't have convention centers and so forth. I guess they <laughs> yeah, gone yeah. There if they'd had those. So they're calling them to these open fields where they have literally laid out on these tables the bones of saints and other relics. Um, all of these, these the very Christian or Yeah. And, <laughs> and they've got all of these things laid out. And as they... As they call them there, the, they, they confront all of these warriors, and they say, you're praying on the weak and the innocent. And they would invoke Christ's name and the witness of these bones. And, and they would say, look, if you do not repent, you are going to hell. The judgment of God is on you. And we have testimonies where literally these frightened brigands were just, they were falling to their knees in some very emotional displays, and priests would promptly swear them to oaths of chivalry, to restrain their violence, to rechannel martial power, and in, in, some, in some places, uh, we have different scholars and so forth that have questioned some of the efficacy of these movements, but the period texts, when we really look at them, they show how the church, the church took ground here and how literally the church was psalming heaven into these warriors and, and literally scaring the hell right out of, out of <laughs> well, <laughs> That's hey, exactly what's going on. It does still work. You know, that's what the, uh, the old Baptists, you know, is scare them and save them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's truth in that. So, so here, here are the real goods from this section of your book. And this is, a, let me read it. Uh, in the medieval chivalric works, I believe also we find four foundational truths of spiritual warfare. And that's really what mm-hmm. we're talking about. What we're, the show, Wrestling with the Inner Man, we're talking about spiritual warfare. So number one, the inner war. We wrestle with the inner man. Chivalry yeah. revealed that man's greatest battle is not outward, but within his own soul the mind, will, and emotions, and not with physical foes, but with spiritual ones. And then you list Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 as the scriptural mm-hmm. reference. Number two, the power of meditation. A central key then to spiritual transformation was and is the practice of meditation, a constant washing and immersion in goodness and truth. And then the scriptural mm-hmm. reference there is Joshua 1, seven, uh, verses 7 through 9. 
Number three, the principle of immersion. For knights, chivalry offered a world of compelling codes, rites, literature, symbols, clothing, and equipment. So, you know, everything mm-hmm. about their lifestyle, their daily you know, habits, their clothing, knights were immersed in a system which mm-hmm. also helped them live it. And then the scriptural reference there is Numbers 15, verses 37 through 40. And finally, four, the power of scripture. The secret to chivalry's power was scripture. Even as the knight's sword slayed physical foes, priests saw that the spirit sword would put to death a warrior's old, thuggish ways and carve out new heroic paths for him as the individual. And Isaiah fifty nine twenty one is a scriptural reference there. So we have these four foundational truths of spiritual warfare that were developed, you know, for the knight. How does this mm-hmm. apply today to the modern day Christian soldier, Duncan? Oh, great question. Um, so no different than medieval Europe or, or first century Rome, really. Our own country is fraught with idolatry, with immorality, with, with heresy and, and more. And, and Paul taught, however, that a, a Christian's greatest warfare was not waged outside with the culture, but inside, just like you were pointing to earlier, just like what this program is about. The, that real war is, is, begins inside right between our own ears. And mm-hmm. we see this in, in places like Romans 8, Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 10. And with that in view, in Ephesians six seventeen, as Paul's talking about the armor of God, gets to verse 17 and says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he admonishes Christians to actively guard and to guide our thought life. Like a horse, the the mind possesses great power, but it is prone to wander, so it needs to be harnessed. And meditation, really, biblical meditation, it's a, it's a helmet for the mind. And Scripture is like the thought life harness. And when these two are utilized together, we can see some manifold transformations unleashed. That's really the theme that Paul's setting forth, and he really he brings it <laughs> To, to put a fine point on things, he brings it to a point as he as he talks about that sword of the spirit being used in that way. Yeah, no, that's a terrific. We need to have our minds harnessed. We do we do wander, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just the scriptures and meditation. You know, I've, I actually was not familiar with really meditation as a practice uh, mm-hmm. for my own for my own you know belief. So. Duncan, let's wrap up today's talk. I always like to wrap it up, and listeners, if you haven't noticed, to a personal application. And Duncan has been very, you know, transparent in that. So he, tell us about the Rima strike concept and how you used it to win your own battle with a short temper, something I, too, have struggled uh, with. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's something that a lot of men struggle with, right? Um, so years ago, this was a, a, a big struggle in my life, and it it came mostly in part from from how I was raised, my mind, how my mind was trained. I'd grown up in this home, experiencing it through physical and emotional abuse. And after attending counseling for some time to really deal with the all of the damage, I my I still had my own short fuse. After that, my mind had been trained to work a certain way, and the Lord showed me that I needed to retrain it. That I literally needed to build a set of new neural pathways of belief and behavior. And so I, I, as I was praying one day, the Lord really prompted me to ask him 
um, to give me what I had dubbed years earlier, a rhema strike in this area. That is a, a scripture verse that I could take up, like the sword of the Spirit, could take up against my stronghold in meditation and prayer. Now, rhema is the Greek word in Ephesians 6.17, um, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's where rhema comes in right there. And basically, rhema refers to an exact answer. It's the Greek opposite of, the, of logos, which means a speech or a discourse. When Satan attacked Jesus in Matthew 4, he didn't, you know, Jesus didn't respond with a speech or quote an entire biblical chapter. If you notice, he answers each temptation with one verse, a sword stroke or a rhema strike. An exact and answer, yes. Yeah, my, my rhema strike that the Lord had led me to was Proverbs 16.32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And so I, I began practicing with this verse like a sword and just pummeling that stronghold with it on a regular basis. And so I, I put to work the Shema principle from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which talks about you know saturating your life in the Word of God putting it on your gates and your doorposts and all this kind of stuff, and as a sign upon your, your eyes, all this kind of stuff. It, it gives us this very picturesque uh, view of, of really what our lives should look like when they're saturated in Scripture so that it really gets into our thinking. And so what I did is I wrote Proverbs 16.32 on multiple sticky notes. I placed them in my, my, my house, my car. I had them at work on my computer. Any, I couldn't go anywhere without seeing my rima strike, and I set a rule. Every time I saw my rima strike, I recited it out loud, and I prayed it over myself. And you, Lord, help me to be slow to anger. Make me better than the mighty. Rule over my spirit in Jesus' name. You know, just some quick prayers and things like that, but something that kept it cycling throughout the day. And then I would set phone alarms also several times a day. And as they went off, I would recite that verse and pray it again. And at lunch, I'd look over the verse and so forth. So you see this, this whole saturation that's taking place. And gradually, as God's Word and His Spirit began filling up this dry place, changing my thinking, the behavior came right along after that. I didn't have to focus on the behavior because my thinking had changed. And soon I was, I was transformed in this area through that power of meditation on the Word. What a great personal story on something that is so very common, especially in Houston <laughs> traffic. I need to, I need to have, I need to have a, a soundtrack because I'm driving, I can't read, that just says, Rima Strike, Proverbs 16.32. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a great show. We're, we're kind of uh, running to the end of our time here. I, I want to plug our sponsor, Prism Specialties. You know, it has been our sponsor throughout. They were under an earlier name, ERS, and they have been just faithful like God for us in supporting the show. And so if you have any kind of uh, electronic issues, textiles, artwork that might need restoration, call Prism Specialties specialties, you know, because they do a great job on this and they've been a great sponsor and they are in the restoration business. And folks, if you like what we've been talking about here in the Soldier Code series and all these different uh, martial warfare tactics to help you battle your daily uh, challenges and the inner mind, you know, with sin, write us an email at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback on any of our programs. So I'd like to just close with a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Duncan and for his work and for 
all the history and study he's investigated to condense and compile it into a usable fashion to train modern-day Christian soldiers, because we need them. We need many of them, and we need them off the sidelines and in the game. And we just thank you for the Remus Strike concepts and for these four uh, principles of spiritual warfare that we've talked about. And we have more episodes, and we just hope that this is uh, helping those out there who are in those battles, that we are helping to arm them and to help give you the glory for the victory. In Christ's name, amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.